So um, last week I was um, I got I had I spoke for Mother's Day, right? And and we went through some mums in the Bible, and uh, we finished up with Sarah and Hagar, and um, but talking uh, to some people through the week, they they like the concept of um, what Hagar was Hagar named God Elroy, the God who sees me, the God who sees me, and um, it's an interesting. Uh, story because God normally reveals himself but in this case well God did reveal himself to Hagar they were speaking but this name was a response from Hagar to God Uh, like Hagar called God that the God who sees me Elroy so um, anyway I was just gonna thought I'd talk about Hagar and Sarah a bit more and and today we're just going to work through Genesis 16 and I know if I was sitting in the crowd, I thought, this just sounds boring. But anyway, just, just work with me and we'll see if we can get something out of it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, back to the story of Hagar, anyway. So, Genesis 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. And um, so he slept with Hagar and they had a kid. Now, this happened about 10 years after they were in Canaan. As you know from last week, I love talking about the ages in this story because it started when Abraham was about 75 and um, Sarai was 65, and then this starts. So this is approximately when Abraham is 85. So they've had the promise, and um, yeah, Abraham's 85, and Sarai's 75, okay? And nothing much is happening, so they took matters into their own hands, okay? So first little side point for today is when, you, when God has said something to you, and you um, you know, you don't trust him um, and you start taking matters into your own hands, you can get up with some different circumstances to what you expected, okay? So um, I'm just saying, if you start taking things into your own hands, um, it's probably not great. And uh, Abraham, so this was Sarah's great idea, and, um, but Abraham agreed, right? They're married, he agreed, and so we will move on with the story. So in Genesis, then 16, 3 and 4, uh, it says, Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. But when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So this is interesting because, so we have a promise given to Abraham and Sarai is sceptical, to say the least. Now, I can understand that because with a bit of backstory, as you know, Abraham's 75 and Sarai's 65, and um, God comes to them and says, you know, I'm going to make a family out of you. All nations will be blessed through you, but just follow me and I'll show you a new land, you know, one you can't see. I mean... There's not many people who 
there's not many women who are 65 that if your husband came home, you know, had a nice house in a nice city, and your husband came home who was 75 and said, I got a vision from God, and this is what we need to do. He's going to give us children, and he's going to make bless many nations, but to do this, we just got to pack up and walk into the desert, right? It doesn't seem sound, and uh, so I can understand, uh, I'll just call up Abraham and Sarah from this point, okay? Otherwise, I'll drive nuts. I know their names change halfway through the story. So uh, I can understand why Sarah might have had some doubts, but this is why this is a story about the father of faith, right? And you also have to remember, Abraham didn't have a Bible. Like, it's not like he was, and it was before Jesus came, so it's not like when we receive a word, we, like, we read the Bible and see if it lines up with God's will. This is a guy who... God the Father hadn't, hadn't been revealed that much in the earth, remember. So that's like me coming home to Christian saying, I had a dream and this guy came and said, let's move to the, you know, the way. Like, do you understand how different and strange this whole thing was? Like, talk about faith. Going to build a sea that no hands, and he can't see, no hands build. And yet the church is here, right? An amazing story. But Sarah takes matters into her own hands, doesn't trust God. And so not only does she try and um, manipulate the circumstances to herself to make it happen, and people do this all the time, they start manipulating to get what they think God wants for them. But not only she does that, when she gets the outcome of what she actually wanted, she then despises it. So... Just be careful of that in your own life. Don't manipulate things and then despise it because it's all your own doing. Okay, so that's where we are at the moment. So then Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible. (laughs) So the husband cops it. You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Yeah. Anyway, I I just thought of a really good joke, but anyway, we're moving on. I put my slave in your arms and and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. But the Bible says that it was actually Sarah who despised the slave. So there's a bit of mirroring going on there. And then Sarah says to Abraham, may the Lord judge between you and me. So not only is Hagar copping it now, also Abraham started to cop it. This is going from bad to worse. And, um, And Abraham says, your slave is in your hands do with her whatever you think best. Um, now, so Sarah's got her issues, right? She's taking matters into her own hands. She's manipulating, controlling, and then despising. And Abraham is just saying, ah, just do what you want, you know? Like, you know just, just do whatever you think best. So, um, and this reminds me of some other stories of Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, because... Um, Abraham isn't really showing leadership to me at this point, right? So at this point, Sarah's got issues and Abraham just says, ah, whatever, just... I mean, if you read it in real terms, it's, uh, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Like, you do whatever, I'm going to watch the football, right? That's the gist, the modern term gist of what's happening here. I'm going to my man cave, you do whatever you think you want to do. Okay? But in Genesis 12, there's another story where... 
when they first, and this is the one I talked to about last week when Sarah was about 65 and the Egyptian pharaoh wanted her, and we were just trying to work out, you know, 65-year-old lady, she must have looked great. Anyway, but Abraham says, she is my sister. So once again, not a great lot of leadership there, right? So you can see this is sort of echoing in Abraham's life because then he's telling Sarah, just do what you want with the slave. I mean, he slept with Hagar. Um, And then in Genesis 20, they go to the Philistines and meet Abimelech and he does exactly the same thing. But what's astounding about this story is it happens between Sodom and Gomorrah and when Isaac was born. So Abraham is somewhere between 99 and 100 by this point in time, which means that Sarah, if we thought she looked good at 65, she's now 89 or 90. Like, this is astounding. So um, <laughs> she's 25 years off dying, and, and Abraham has to cover for her. She's, she's my sister. Well, he's not covering for her. He's covering for himself. He doesn't want to get killed. Like, and God has, to, God has to come in and rescue him on this time. You know, God steps in. You know, and gives Abimelech a dream. But you know what's interesting, fathers? So Abraham made two mistakes here, right? What's interesting is, guess what? In Genesis 26, his son Isaac did the exact same thing. I don't know if you've read through Genesis, but Isaac also visited the Philistines and passed his wife off as his sister. Did the exact same thing. So this is a little aside for all you dads out there. Whatever you're feeding into your kids, just remember it'll repeat. Okay, and Abraham did it twice and Isaac followed suit. It does say with Abimelech, but they think that's a title like Pharaoh because this would have been, I mean, Isaac wasn't even born when this happened the first time, so it would have been a generation later. Maybe Abimelech was still alive if, if it's not a title. But So remember, if you're raising boys, raising kids, they will repeat what you do. So just be thoughtful. Anyway, back to uh, our actual story. So... Abraham sort of um, abdicates leadership and says to Sarah, do what you want. And so Sarah mistreated Hagar and Hagar fled. Okay, so this is where the story gets a bit interesting. I mean, it was interesting. So, you know, they use Hagar, Sarah mistreats, abuses her. And so at this point, Sarah doesn't send her away. She's just treating her bad. Hagar chooses to run, okay? So, in Genesis 16, 7, it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar. Isn't that interesting? It's like, have you ever seen those movies where the CIA is after you, you know, you've got to turn off your phone and, you know, Hagar went for a run and it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar. So, um, now the the angel of the Lord is God. And we know this because Hagar addresses the angel of the Lord or God later in this chapter and says, you are the God who sees me. So we're not talking about an angel here. We're, We're talking about God. So God found her. God was looking for her. And... As we get into these concepts, we have to remember, because remember in Mother's Day last week, I was talking about, you know, mothers are great, but there's also a lot of, you know, pain in relationships as well. So there's, 
you know, lots of different circumstances, people not treating their mothers right, not being treated right, um, you know, death or separation, all these different things. So Hagar was going through a, a painful situation, but God found her. Not only did God find her, God was actually looking for her. Like you don't find something if you weren't looking for it, right? So to find something, it has to be lost and there has to be an intention that you want it and then you have to look for it and then you find. You think of um, Jesus had the parable of the lost coin I mean, there's a few lost parables, but I'm just thinking of that lost coin of that lady who lost the coin and she, she searched that house up and down until she found that coin. It's a bit like this. So Hagar ran, ran and God was looking for her. So remember, if there's pain, God wants you and is looking for you. But he asked a great question. Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm sure, like God sees everything and knows everything, but I, I'm sure when you're doing your own little thing, you know, if, you, if your life's full of pain and you're wandering into some back alley, God can tell, where have you come from? <laughs> and where do you think you're going? <laughs> and uh, why are you in the desert? How, how did you get to this dry place? And... Sometimes we ask ourselves that, right? How did we get to this dry place? How did we end up here? Um, you know, no prayer, bad choices. Was it like Sarah? Um, you know, control, manipulation, bitterness, mistreatment. And then, like, how, how do you get to where you are? And sometimes you don't even know you're going there. Sometimes you just end up there. You just end up in a desert. But God is looking for you and he knows you. He can see you. You know, God is El Roy, the God who sees me. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth? So we need to remember that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But this name, El Roy, God who sees me, is God is omniscient. He, he knows everything. So when we're talking about God who sees me, we're not talking about he's seeing your external... He does see your external situations, but God can see right into you. He can see your values and your attitude. He's omniscient. He knows all. So he can see your values and attitudes and, you know, and manipulation and deception. God is the God who sees. So God found Hagar. He asked her, what are you doing? Like, I think he knew the answer to that question. Like, they always say, you know... Never ask a question you don't know the answer of. You know, you, you, you sort of try to... God knew what was going on. He was just talking to Hagar. Where are you going? And then he said to her, go back to your mistress, mistress and submit to her. He said to her, go back. Why are you running? Where have you ended up? 
go back to where you were running from. We need to, whatever you're running from, you need to return to. I've never seen a man respect himself if he, ran, if he always ran away. So God says to her, I want you to go back from what you are running from. You can't spend your whole life running from what is uncomfortable. So if your job get hard and you quit, it's running. If a situation gets tough and you give up, it's running. If business gets difficult and you give up, give in, it's running. If you run into relationship conflict, it's running. And there is nothing in the desert for you. So don't sit down in the desert ready to die. The desert isn't killing you, okay? It's sitting down in the desert that's killing you. You need to go back and face things, submit to God. And then after that, this is what the angel said to her. Genesis 16.10. So we're just working through these verses one by one. The angel said, or God said to her, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So in the situation of Hagar, not only God did God tell her, go back and submit, he also said, that is where your provision is. Okay, that, that is where your blessing is. If, if you go back, if you submit... He said, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. God saw her and said, your deliverance is by turning back. It is by facing it. Don't sit down in the desert waiting to die. The desert isn't where you belong. I know everyone goes through these times. It's, you know, Jesus went to the desert for wilderness. You just, when you're there, you need to contemplate and think and trust in God and then like Hagar did, when God reveals himself, you then turn back. You don't sit in the desert. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And the Bible says, what is man that God is mindful of him? You think, just an individual, Hagar, lonely in the desert, getting abused, and so she just walked off by herself. God sought her out. God found her. God saw her and spoke to her and gave her instruction, and Hagar's response was praise. I've now seen the one who sees me. You are the God who sees me. Psalm 33, 18 says, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. You know, this story, the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, it's amazing. And I was just, after reflecting on Hagar, I was then thinking about, and her son, Ishmael, I was just then thinking of Abraham and Isaac. And, like, Abraham was definitely a man of faith, father of faith. And, you know, he listened to God and went, but he obviously had his weaknesses with 
um, some of those things. But yet, by the time we get to Genesis 22, and the promise is fulfilled, and Isaac is born, and he grows up, God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. And it's another, it's another test. It's another trust, you know. Like you think God gave them that promise about having children, a son, and they didn't trust him the first time because we know that. They, they tried to control it and manipulate it to get the outcome they wanted. So when they did get that outcome, finally, when Abraham was 100, God then like sort of ups the ante a bit and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And this time, which is great, Abraham doesn't try to control or manipulate the situation. His relationship and his trust has grown. So he, he listens. And, he, and then in, in the middle of this story, as you know, God provides a sacrifice. And, and this is the verse. Well, the verse we often know is out of the NIV. So it says, so Abraham called the place, the mountain, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So that name Jehovah Jireh that we know of, no one actually called God that. that Abraham called a place that because of what happened there. And then it says after that, um, and to this day, it says on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So to this day we sing that here you know, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. But, so God did provide, but um, in the King James Version, it's more based on the Septuagint, which is the Greek, the Greek Old Testament, converted from Hebrew. And so, um, and that's more interpreted as the Lord will see to it. So in the King James Version, that same verse is, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So I thought it was an interesting in that story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. Hagar runs, meets God, and God reveals himself as the one who sees. And, and then she returns and then, you, and then with Abraham, just a few chapters later, with, his, with God talking to him and the lamb provided, he says, he calls the place Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will see to it. The Lord sees and will provide. And so you have to know that God sees. Not only does God see and know you, he will see to it. If you, like, if you have a promise, he will see to it so our father God Elroy the God who sees he sees us and finds us but he does call us into submission it might not be exactly the same in every circumstance so in the case of Hagar she was told to go back and submit to Sarah because she ran it'll be different for each of you but you will need to lay down your life. You will need to submit. When you do that, there's provision. That's where the provision is, okay? And then the response is praise. 
The best praise God ever receives, I think, is a sacrifice of praise. It's anyone can praise in a crowd. It's harder to praise alone while you're in a desert or in the middle of trouble, in the middle of a problem or a storm. Anyone can praise with the music, but a sacrifice of praise doesn't come in a crowd. A sacrifice of praise comes in the middle of a desert. It's a sacrifice because you don't want to give it. That's what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice hurts. It often, well, a sacrifice kills. So when you're bringing a sacrifice of praise, it's killing you. It's killing something inside you. It's a sacrifice. And, and when things are dead, they, they stay dead or should. So when you're in the middle of a desert, you need to praise. I also brought up this scripture a week or two ago that I think about this all the time, this scripture, and it's a correct response to when, you know, you feel like you're being pursued or, you know, you're in the wrong place or Isaiah 30, 15 to 17. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. It's in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. Whatever you try, when you're running, you can run as fast as you want. But the pursuers get faster. It's in repentance and rest, in submission, in quietness, in praise. That's where you find salvation and strength. The longer you, you fight to do things your own way, like Hagar did, she took things into her own hands and left. There's desert places. There's lack of provision. We need to, we need to stop running. We need to turn around and go back and submit. Like I said, every situation is different. I'm not asking you to walk back into an abusive situation. What I'm saying is running will not help you. You'll continue to run your whole life. You need to stop, turn around, submit, and, and praise. The response is praise. I'm going to pray for you now that you know this this word just sits on us that it'll be imparted so because we each have our own circumstances but what we need to do is find Christ and his wisdom heavenly father we are we are thankful that you are the God who sees so you're omnipresent and your presence is everywhere but you're also all-knowing you see you see through us you know our circumstances, you look for us, you find us. Lord, we ask today that we would be people who could humble ourselves and submit and return, return to you. Um, 
Lord, may we truly trust you. Trust your word. Trust that you know all and see all. Trust in your promises and not try to manipulate or control them ourselves. And Lord, our response is praise. Lord, we praise you as the God who sees and the God who sees to it, Jehovah Jireh. But Lord, you've changed us. You've made us yours. Lord, we are thankful. Lord, I, I ask today that for the people of peace, that you know this this knowledge that your spirit will rest on them that people will look and seek and find you that they would return to submission return to you lord fill our hearts with praise in jesus name amen